listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to episode number 192 of the Red Seat Podcast. Uh, this is me, Matt Collins, speaking. Uh, I am with Jake Devereaux today on what was supposed to be the start of the winter meetings. I guess they're still doing virtual winter meetings, which to me just sounds like the regular off season. But uh, how are you ce- celebrating the fake winter meetings, Jake? Uh, I am not at all. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of weird that they're still pushing. I mean, not hard, but I've seen like mentions of the winter meetings. It's like, well, <laughs> what is the difference between this and any other day of the off season? Yeah, yeah, it is it is kind of weird. Um, but you know, Major League Baseball, man, they uh, they sure know how to promote stuff. <laughs> they don't even know yet. This started. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, hopefully we will, despite it not being a real winter meetings, hopefully we'll start to see some moves trickle in. We did see a trade, not with the Red Sox, but um, Rizal Iglesias going to the Angels earlier on Monday. We're recording this later in the afternoon on Monday. The Iglesias trade happened a few hours ago, so that was something. Maybe we'll see a little bit more movement this week. But Didn't uh, he go for, like, nothing? He went for our old friend... No way, Ramirez, Ramirez. Yeah. and a player to be named later. Just That's outrageous. a joke. I believe No way, I should probably look this up before saying it, but I'm not going to look it up. I think No way Ramirez is older than Rizal Iglesias, which is strange to think about. Obviously, team control and all that, but yeah, that was a that that was what Rizal Iglesias cost. Plus, the Reds sent some money along with it too. It's just an outrageous, <sighs> outrageous thing. What world am I living in right now? Yeah. I haven't I haven't looked into the details. I don't know how much money it is. I just saw cash going to the angels. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. But uh it's something. It's a little bit of movement. We haven't really seen much movement to this point in the off season, so like I said, this week after the non tender deadline last week, which we'll get to a little bit later, uh the people have been hoping that that will open things up a little bit, so we'll see. But uh Red Sox haven't made any additions quite like Rizal Iglesias, but they've been a little mildly busy over the last week, a few transactions. Uh, we're going to start with the most recent one, which broke roughly 45 minutes before recording this. Uh, I say broke like it was some big news, like Ken Rosenthal is like, <laughs> blowing up our phones with it. Uh, they outrighted Jairo Munoz to AAA, not really something anybody saw coming. Uh, Munoz obviously didn't really get to play much last year, but when he did, he looked good. He provided a energy that they hadn't really seen all year. Um, ability to play all over the field. Has an option left. He's only going to be 26 le- uh, next year. Somehow went unclaimed on waivers. The Red Sox able to take him off the 40-man and... Yeah, he's now in AAA. I guess we're still calling it Pawtucket, but I think after the new year it changes to Worcester. Uh, but, I mean, Munoz getting outrated, it's surprising, right? We haven't even really had time to digest it ourselves, but, I mean, it's just, it's really the only word I can come up with that's surprising. Yeah, I hadn't even considered this as a possibility, and um, this whole off season is an exercise in basically... Uh, taking all of the things that I've learned about baseball over the years and just tossing them out the window when it comes to roster management because teams are just doing wacky shit right now um, and it's really hard to figure out. Uh, you know, the the Yairo Munoz thing in particular is weird because this is the dude who just up and left Cardinals camp uh, last year um, because he was upset with his role. So... This doesn't seem like a great, great move here. I don't know what to expect out of this. Yeah, I have to imagine that that's a big reason why he went unclaimed. 
Because, I mean, on the surface, I can't think of another reason why one team wouldn't want him. I mean, I just listed a bunch of them out. Uh, like, he has the minor league option. He's not ARB. He's not even at ARB salaries yet. I can't think of a reason besides that, that he left. And, I mean, that's I don't want to brush that off like it's nothing. I mean, I I personally think it's hilarious, especially <laughs> that it's the Cardinals. Uh, but I could understand that if I'm building a baseball team, maybe... Maybe if I don't, I'm not desperate for somebody like Yaro Munoz, I don't necessarily take that on. But yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely strange. And I mean, generally speaking, this would be considered a win for the Red Sox from the Red Sox perspective because they get the best of both worlds. They get to keep Yaro Munoz and they can still have him on their bench next year. I mean, obviously nothing stops them from putting a player back on the 40-man roster, and now they have the open spot. But like you said, there's a guy who left the team for being mad about his role, and now he's getting taken off the 40-man. Um, I mean, I think he still gets the same salary. I'm not entirely sure how that works. But um, it's just, yeah, it's just surprising. And I wonder, I mean, I wonder what, it signals because they didn't have a full 40 man. Uh, they made another move late last week that we're going to get to after this. So with this move, their 40 man's at 38. So it's not like they were in desperate need of a move and they had to get rid of somebody. And that was what they did. Um, so I'm wondering what you think, like there has to be a rationale behind clearing the spot. I'm wondering what you think that rationale is, you know, just pure speculation. It could be, clearing a spot for a trade that is being talked about or maybe about to happen. Um, I'm trying to think of other reasons why. Um, Maybe an impending free agent signing um, that is about to happen. I mean, it it portends another roster move, right? Clearing a roster spot of a guy who is good and seems to be, by most people's accounting – uh, going to be part of this this team next year. The only reason you do that is if you have another plan for that roster spot. And, you know, the only reason you do that now is if you have a plan for that roster spot soon, I think. No. See, I don't, I don't think that's right. And that was where my mind went first, too. But it's also this weird game that front offices have to play where if they are thinking that they want to do this at some point, part of the calculus they have to go through is, okay, when is going to be the best chance that I can put this guy on waivers that preferably I'd like to keep. Obviously if I'm putting him on waivers, I, it's not the end of the world to me if I lose him, but I would like to keep when is, when can I do that? where I have the best chance of him making it through. And I guess it would make sense to do that right before the rule five rule rule five draft where, I mean, that's coming up on Thursday. And so teams probably are a little more hesitant to add a guy to their 40 man, Mm. um, especially somebody with maybe questionable makeup like Munoz might have after the whole Cardinals thing. Um, So, I mean, that's just speculation on my part, but that would be, that would make sense to me. I mean, I'm not saying that there's not a move coming because there very well could be, but I think that there is I think there is rationale to making this move if you are saying, okay, well I we're gonna add at some point through the offseason, even if it's not this week, we're gonna add, say, five players. I'm just kind of throwing that number out there. But you need to clear those spots and so you're looking at the guys you need to clear. You think, okay, Munoz might be one of the guys we're going to do, we might as well just do it right now because we have a good chance of having him clear waivers and keeping him anyway. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I hadn't really factored in the Rule 5 draft coming up, but yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense because teams might be hoping for something better than Munoz uh, coming for one of their roster spots. And, you know, if you do this after the Rule 5, there's a good chance that if those teams cleared a spot and they missed out on their Rule 5 target that you know, this ends up being a backup plan for them. So I totally get that. That makes a lot of sense. And later in the offseason, too. I mean, say you wait until, like, late January. At that point, there's going to be a team or two that's missed out on their free agent targets or trade targets or whatever. And so at that point, they might be getting desperate, so it's more likely it gets claimed. Um, but it's also worth mentioning, um, Chris Hatfield pointed this out, he is eligible for the Rule 5 draft. So 
there's actually a chance somebody could take him in the Rule 5 draft, but um, they didn't claim him on waivers. It would be a strange decision to change your mind like three days later in the Rule 5. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was one move. Um, Red Sox cleared another 40-man spot. Actually, wait. Before I do that, there was one more point I wanted to make with Munoz. I wonder if this signals more willingness than maybe we thought was guaranteed that they're going to um, actually add a new second baseman. Because I haven't been totally convinced that that's been part of their plan. But if they're going to take, if they were willing to risk Munoz like that and they're going to take him off the 40 man, I wonder if that means that they are more likely to sign. I mean, I don't think they're going to sign TJ LeMahieu, but more likely to sign a Jackson Profar or a Colton Wong or whoever you want to put in that tier at second base. Yeah, I don't know if I really 100% agree with that, only because, you know, two of the candidates uh, for second base are already on the roster in uh, Chavis and and uh, Arroyo. Um, so I'm not sure that he would have ever been in the plans to play over them or be in a timeshare with those two players. It, it seems like they wanted to give Arroyo some run, so I don't know if I'm necessarily on board. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. I think Munoz is weirdly more of an outfielder on this roster, less because that's his skill set and more because they just don't have outfielders. Right. Yeah, I agree. All right, so that's enough on Munoz. Um, so the other move they made to clear a roster spot was last late last week. I think it was Friday. Days don't really matter anymore. Uh, but they traded uh, Yohan Ibar to the Rockies for uh, minor league infielder Christian Koss. Um, we had talked a little bit leading up to the Rule 5 protection about Yohan Ibar. Um, and I so I guess I'm not... I made it pretty clear that I thought they might move on from Ivar. Are you surprised at all? I mean, I guess I'm a little... My surprise, I guess, would be that it came now rather than back then. But um, it always made sense that they would move on to me. No, I'm not surprised at all. Um, I think that there's a good chance that this happened because uh, the Rockies maybe were targeting him in Rule 5 and wanted to... Uh, make sure they got their player. Well, he was on the 40-man already. Right, but if they wanted to make this move anyway, like let's just say they wanted him off the roster, okay, and they want to free up a spot because clearly they're looking to free up spots if they're moving around guys like Munoz. My my logic being like instead of just getting him off the roster and then having him get claimed or, you know, be selected oh, in Rule 5. I misunderstood what you were saying. Yeah, so by by doing this, they get something for the player that they were already going to, you know, move on from. Because I think that spot would have been tough with, with Ibar, where he is in his development, even though he is enticing. And I really like the, the starter set of tools there. I mean, he's just, he's kind of old for where he is developmentally. So it's hard to imagine that that type of guy gets a shot with the Red Sox on the next good Red Sox team. Yeah, it's just... He got totally screwed this year, um, and he just was more than I think maybe anyone else in the entire organization. Um, the circumstances of 2020 just destroyed his not his value, but his his development. I mean, he didn't he didn't get to go to the alternate site in Pawtucket. He was the only guy in the 40 man didn't i believe marcus wilson ended up getting there for like a week at the end of the summer um because they just had this glut of quad a pitchers who weren't very good but they at least had a chance at pitching into the majors if there was like an emergency there was no way that ivar was going to be ready for the majors under any circumstances so it made sense to not have him at the alternate site but it sucked for him because he didn't get to pitch at all and then because he was on the 40 man he wasn't eligible to go pitch at Instructs either, so he just kind of was left hanging, and he didn't get to work out with the team all winter. And so that's totally not fair for him, but at the same time, I get... Like like you said, it's just the Red Sox, he didn't really have a place 
on a roster that had only has so many spots and the Red Sox are already fighting for spots here. Um, it just, I hope it works out for him in Colorado. I can't possibly imagine a worse place for him to go than the Rockies between their pitching development and just being in Colorado. But, um, it just, it just sucks for him. I understand what they're, what the Red Sox are thinking, but Ibar just totally got stuck in the middle here. Yeah. And, and I do think that it does say a little bit about Ibar that the team wanted to trade for him too, though. You know, it just does talk about the, the raw tools that he does possess. And and the stuff is nasty. Right. And even thinking about cores too, I mean, uh, a lefty with that type of fastball, um, we all know fastballs play up better at cores than breaking pitches do. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a interesting, and I hope it works out for him. But I'm excited about the kid they got back. This kid, Christian Koss, um, you know, he's not he's not like a big prospect. And you might pull up his fan, fan tracks page and drool over the numbers that he hit in the Pioneer League. He had a 172 WRC+. Plus. He absolutely killed it. But uh, this is a guy who can play multiple positions. And uh, the Sox prospects guys were saying that, you know, they could see a potential outcome where he's like a utility middle infielder. And that'd be an amazing get for a guy who just wasn't part of your plans in Yohan Ibar. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the instinct with any trade like this is to sort of look at the best case scenario for somebody like Koss and there's there's a lot to like and yeah I mean you mentioned the you mentioned the line that he had in the Pioneer League and that comes with the caveat that he played in just absolutely bananas place to hit I mean it might be it's in the conversation for best like park and environment for offense in the entire minor leagues um but by WRC plus I don't have the exact numbers in front of me i think the cespedes barbecue guys tweeted this out the night of the trade um he had like the second or third best wrc plus in the pioneer league of the last like decade or so um and i i I don't think wrc plus is much less reliable in the minors than it is the majors park effects just aren't the same but that performance even given that he was a little old for the level um even given that he was in this crazy park and grand junction and the altitude and all that um the the whole league is like that by the way too oh for sure but i think grand junction even yeah particularly um just because of the altitude like colorado uh or like denver but um it was it particularly stood out because he was when he was drafted he was drafted as a defense first shortstop and then he just went bananas at the plate i think the scouting reports on his defense have fallen a bit uh baseball america said a similar to the Sox prospect guys um saying that he profiles as a utility man who uh they say he's average at three positions so it doesn't have the range to play shortstop on a regular basis i don't know how that tracks with the scouting reports coming out of college i don't know if he got bigger or what it is but i mean either way like you said, getting a utility guy for Yohan Ivar would be a good, uh, definitely be a good get. I would just, I'm certainly not penciling him in for that role, but I think he, he's at least an interesting guy to watch. Um, assuming there's minor league baseball next year, I, mean, I would assume he's going to go to Salem to start next season. I that's just a guess, but that's where I is, would think they would want him to start. Yeah, it's really interesting, and, and, and a utility profile would be awesome um, for for what they have going on, and just the fact that uh, you know this guy's getting some future fifty fives thrown on his hit tool, which is pretty pretty exciting uh, for for a player at this level. And I think there are some things threw a fifty five on him. Uh, well, potential fifty five, uh, Long and Hagen over at Fangraphs uh, really? threw a potential fifty five. On his hit to a current 35, potential 55. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there are some things I think you can hang your hat on, even at weird levels, uh, like the Pioneer League. And I think one of the things is uh, walk rate uh, is, is interesting at, at those levels. It at least shows that the player has a little bit of plate discipline. Um, you know, the other thing at those levels that can be dicey is obviously the control of the pitchers can factor in heavily to that. But I think he did show some things in, in especially the quality of contact there um, 
that are interesting enough for me to get excited about him being more than just, you know, a sort of a throwing type player. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think that's right. I was going to say something else, but it seems like I would just be arguing with myself and we don't have to go. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> This is this is how my brain works in month eighteen of quarantine or whatever we're on right now. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's Christian Cost. I don't really have anything else to say about Christian Cost to you. No, just good get, good get. So when the Ibar move happened, this was before Munoz they, that had opened up one forty man spot. I think a lot of the focus kind of went to the Rule Five draft and that the Red Sox could target someone in rule five this year that hasn't really been their mo but of course they picked uh jonathan arauz last year ended up keeping him all year you think they're gonna target somebody else this year a hundred percent they're definitely gonna take somebody and i think that that has a lot to do with their claim position uh right now it is better than it usually is um so i believe that they will add somebody and especially i i don't know it just seems like Bloom is more willing to throw these darts than Dombrowski maybe was. Mm, I mean, I yeah, I also think the roster has a big part to do with it. Bloom has had trash rosters, sure. which is not obviously not blaming him, but there's more open spots to play around with, whereas Dombrowski had a roster that was ready to go win divisions, and he didn't necessarily have time to have these flyers. Um, but I do agree that they're going to pick someone. I'm expecting a pitcher this time around um i haven't really looked at who's available yet that's a whole process that i have to go through and i i don't really know any of the names but it just seems like they need so much pitching that it just feels like it makes sense that they'll just take a shot at some some righty who throws 95 with the nasty slider who also walks like 18 batters per nine oh robinson layer Exactly. Darwin Hernandez from the right side. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, I, I think they'll take a guess. picture too. Um, yeah, so that, like we said, that is on Thursday. Um, always a fun, always love the Rule 5 draft. It is a conference call. Um, that's always fun to listen to. It's usually. It's usually fun because it's the last day of the winter meetings and everybody the night before had been up drinking. And so it's like this hungover event, but uh, that won't be the case this year. It's also just the cool thing about the Rule 5 draft. It's just one of the true oddities of baseball uh, that when you try and explain it to somebody who is, you know, just a a watcher of the other three major sports, they're just like, "Mm, what the hell are you talking about right now? I I wouldn't even... (laughs) <laughs> Nobody's ever asked me about the Rule 5 draft. I would just say, don't worry about it, to be honest with you. I mean, like, if they, if this player ends up working out, I'll explain it to you, but there's a 99% chance they won't. Yeah. It's, Michael it's Brantley, fun. I think, is, like, the best Rule 5 draft, or one of the best ever. This is the guy I always think of. I'm sure that someone over at MLB.com will uh, have a very fun uh, list of top Rule 5 picks before Thursday. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they just recycle that every year. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else happened with the Red Sox. They lost Robert Stock on waivers. Um, he was claimed by the Cubs. Uh, R.I.P. to a real one on Twitter. Not R.I.P. Seriously, live, but uh, <laughs> yeah, he's gone. I don't really. The my only comment, I guess, on that would be that's a pitch. Somebody, a Red Sox pitcher that somebody else wanted, which is a little bit surprising. Yeah, um, and the remaining two uh, guys who who are still listed on the 40-man for relievers who are not currently projected for the Red Sox bullpen are Springs and Bizarro. So your boy Springs lives another day on this roster, man. That is uh, I still good think news for you. Through. Yeah, I mean, it's looking more and more likely every day. Um, yeah. But Stock was one of the ones we both talked about as a potential – roster crunch victim so that wasn't shocking no no it made sense um all right other than that those are the real 
tangible moves that happened. Um, Red Sox were involved in a couple of free agent rumors. Uh, both of these were reported by John Morosi. John Morosi seems to have the in with the Red Sox interest. Uh, I'm not sure what that's about. Uh, first, his report was that they've shown some interest in Corey Kluber. Um, so where are you on Kluber? Kluber's a really interesting name. What do you think about Kluber as a target? Just um, I'm really interested. So the the Fangraphs projection on his salary was 12 million bucks for one year deal. Um, it's so intriguing for a pitcher that still isn't absurdly old or anything. He's he's 34. Um, you know he'll turn 35 right closer to the beginning of the season. He turns 35. Uh, actually a day after I turn 34. Um, so yeah, I'm aging myself here. Um, but this, the potential with Kluber is just absurd. Um, the stuff is electric when it's on. And I think that even in the two seasons that he's basically done nothing, um, he's only thrown 36.2 or 36 and two thirds, uh, innings over the last two seasons. Uh, he still had a strikeout rate in the nines. So he's very good uh, when he is healthy. It's just a matter of whether or not he's healthy because every single year, basically, that he was healthy, he was one of the top pitchers in baseball. And I think that that's a really smart type of player for the Red Sox to take a flyer on in a year where your expectations are not, you know, 100% dialed into, um, you know, you have to get a safe player who's going to contribute. It's kind of the year to take darts and, and, and throw them and, and see what happens with your roster. And the outcome that you could potentially get out of Kluber would be outstanding. Yeah, I think, I think I'm a little lower on the potential of Kluber. Um, not that I don't like him. I, I mean, I think the upside that we've seen like in the past is kind of out, out the window at this point. Even I mean, that's just time. Um but I think I really don't like this year's free agent starting pitchers. It's brutal. It's not a good. It's not a good group. And right now, looking at who's on the table, I want no part of Trevor Bauer for various reasons. I kind of have always liked Tanaka, but the prices that are kind of being thrown out there. The Fangraphs crowdsource projection of 354, I'm totally out on that. Um, no way. Yeah. MLB Trade Rumors had 339 for Tanaka, which I would definitely think about. Um, but yeah, Kluber, MLB Trade Rumors had the same 112. And I think you can make an argument that he's the third best free agent pitcher. Um, probably fourth with uh, Sagano from Japan being posted today. But, I mean, wherever you want to put that, that's if you can get that for a one-year deal, I think, like you said, it makes all the sense in the world for the Red Sox to be looking at a guy like that. And especially where you're not necessarily asking Kluber to be your ace all year, um, I think that would be great. But you also have Chris Sale coming back in, like, June or so. And so you're really using Kluber sort of as a bridge to get you to that point. And then if things go south, if things go south with him, it's a one-year deal, so whatever happens. But if things go south with the team and he's pitching well, then all of a sudden you have a guy in Corey Kluber that you can flip at the deadline. Yep. Um, yeah. Or, or you can try and negotiate, you know, a couple more years. Extension, on, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, and it is worth noting with him that he makes his off-season home in Massachusetts. Manchester. Um, yeah, so that is interesting. I agree with you, Matt, that he's probably the third best uh, pitcher on this market. Um, actually, talent-wise, he might be the second best pitcher on the market, just behind Bauer. I mean, if you... We're not getting into this, but I, I think if you want to go crazy, and I'm not going here, but I, I don't think it's out of the question that he's better than Bauer on a one-year basis. No, I totally agree. Um, 
You know, there there are a bunch of guys out there who are intriguing one-year flyers who the Red Sox could potentially take. And looking at the list, it's like, you know, the Rich Hills and the Jay Haps and uh, maybe Paxton Jay takes Hap a one-year show-me deal. Well, he pitches damn well at Fenway, man. He's, uh, he's fine, but he's... he's uh, uh, interesting wouldn't be the word. He seems just like the steady option. Not really the yeah, I mean, to me. I think he's pretty safe, though, uh, in terms of players yeah. like that. Um, but, you know, the, the potential outcome for Kluber just makes him way more interesting than all the other options out there. Um, he is my favorite of these options just because of the potential. I mean, let's just say everything breaks right and Kluber makes it through and he gets to camp and he's healthy and he's correct. And then by July, you have Kluber and Sale healthy. At the top of your rotation. Rodriguez, too. And if Rodriguez is back, like, holy shit. Um, All of a sudden, you're talking about a Red Sox team with a bananas rotation. And they do have a sick lineup, especially if, you know, Devers hits well and the outfield is okay. And, you know, J.D. bounces back a little bit. There's some serious potential in this team that none of the other pitchers that are out there can can represent that type of potential outcome it could be like very 2013 ish where a lot of things break right that is fair but i feel obliged to give the other side of that where (laughs) of course (laughs) he gets hurt an inning into his season again or three innings whatever it was last year it was one inning um and again i do like kluber but i think there's an argument for somebody like Jose Quintana instead Ugh, who God can, no Quintana is the polar opposite of Corey Kluver yeah but that's the kind of the steady arm that you'd be getting I think I I like I said I agree that Kluver would be the get but there's there's much more downside the the floor is lower with Kluver than it is with Quintana the floor is pretty low with Quintana, though. I mean, right now I'm looking at his projections for next year. 4.6 ERA, 170 innings pitched. That's... 170 innings pitched is the thing, though. Yeah, but you can't have it both ways, man. This is what you were telling me last year when I was like, oh, Martin Perez, innings pitched. And you were like, well, how good are those innings? Oh, this for is sure. The same thing. But I would also say that uh, Quintana is a billion times better than Perez ever was. And like I said, I think Kluber is the move i'm just saying that is the other side of the coin if you're looking for steady Quintana, i think would be the best option of the steady i i think how much better he is than perez at this point in his career is debatable he has been a below average pitcher in many aspects since he got to the cubs he certainly hasn't been worth anything close to what they thought he was going to be like if you're talking to me about quintana with the white Sox, yes but that's really not the Quintana has. we have now. I mean, ERA minus last three years, 100, 107, 101. That's obviously not good, but it's not, like, terrible. And then FIP minus 109, 85, 67. You could throw out the 67 if you want because that was 10 innings. But It's a little deceiving, though, because his home run to fly ball rate is what's been going bananas since he went to the Cubs. That's what going bananas around the league, though. I mean, the, he just happened to go to the Cubs at the time when the ball started getting juiced. I wouldn't feel confident in him under a four and a half ERA on this team next year, coming to the AL East. I don't know that a four and a half ERA. I mean, if we're talking, yeah, league average ERA is what I would expect. That's a four and a half. That's just not worth it to me. Like, why would I pay a guy? What is he going to make? What's the projection on him? Eight to ten million per. Yeah, uh, Fangos has two ten. I don't know what. Um, I would do it. Yeah, I would probably go. I would go like two sixteen. Yeah, I don't want any part of that. That's fine. We were talking about Kluber, anyways. I don't know why I brought up Quintana. <laughs> that that one's on me. I I actually didn't know that's how you felt about Quintana. I one hundred percent would not have brought him up. <laughs> I knew that was gonna happen because I don't even really like Quintana that much. I'm like totally I don't even know why I feel this strongly about Quintana, but I hate him. It's a little strange. I, I have a feeling it probably goes back to a, a fantasy issue. That's maybe. Uh, Dug deep into your subconscious, so we don't go there. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think, like you were saying, I mean, the upside is, 
the upside of this Red Sox rotation is there. I think the chances of all that breaking, like you were saying, and plus, I mean, you could throw Nathan Avaldi out there as well. We've seen yeah. Nathan Avaldi be really good, but I mean, I would say the chances of all that happening simultaneously are 2%. I mean, it's just probably not going to happen, but I think when you're in a position like the Red Sox are, you probably play more for that 2% than somebody like Quintana because you need more than somebody like Quintana or Porcello or whoever you want to put in as that sort of placeholder. Absolutely. Totally agree. And also just selfishly getting to watch uh, Kluber, if he's correct every five days in that slider, would be money. Yeah, it would be pretty sweet. Uh, So the other guy that Morosi reported that the Red Sox had interest in was Eddie Rosario. Rosario was kind of a surprise. Non-tender, he was put on waivers before he was non-tendered, giving him a chance to have some team at least want to pay him ARB salary. Apparently nobody wanted to, which seems pretty wild. But the Red Sox are showing interest. I think think the Rosario discussion leads to a much more interesting discussion with the Red Sox outfield as a whole but i guess just to start i mean what do you think just as just about rosario himself um i think he's a good baseball player uh, i think he gets kind of dogged by uh the advanced metrics for his defense i don't think it's quite as bad as the metrics think it is um and i think that you know he gets dinged for his obp being like 315-ish, 310 over the course of his career. I'm looking at it now. Um, But the dude has a lot of pluses. Uh, He is pretty durable. He hits for a lot of power. He's got a career 201 ISO, uh, career 277 average, makes a good amount of contact. He's just not like super sexy in any of these new metrics, but he shows up to the ballpark and, and can hit and he's shown that he can hit in the middle of a contending lineup over the last three years too with the the twins so i like the player a lot and i I think it sucks that a guy like this is is not able to you know secure his job in a market like this yeah he's in the worst place to be for a major league player right now which is to be good but not great yeah um yeah i think i agree i thought i was always sort of a high guy on Rosario, I've always liked Rosario, but the reaction to him getting uh, non-tendered and nobody claiming him, honestly, I felt it was a little over the top, even for me. And I say that as a guy, I think he should have been tendered, I think he should have been claimed and all that. Just felt like people were talking about him, like it was like Juan Soto over here, and he's good. <laughs> um, yeah, well, it's, you don't often see guys who went 30 and 100, you know. Felt like I saw more outrage about him than Brad Hand. Maybe I'm just misremembering, but I, I felt like Brad Hand was much more egregious than Rosario. Especially since he's a pitcher. Yeah, I mean, Hand is just awesome. We're not talking about Brad Hand today, but I love Brad Hand. Um, all right, so more specifically with the Red Sox in relation to Rosario. One of the big issues that I've seen people throw out with Rosario on the Red Sox is that it would lead them to having three outfield or three lefties in their outfield. Is that something that concerns you? Uh, yeah, it kind of is. Um, I didn't think it would concern me at first, but then I started looking at the lineup and uh, it does concern me a little bit. I think that they they would still be able to maintain good balance in the lineup if they had a lefty in instead of, you know, I'm looking at it right now, instead of like Michael Chavis's right-handed bat. Um, but I think that that would be a lot of left-handed power on the team. And I'm not sure if you want all your power to be left-handed. You know, you'd have bogey and you'd have to get a JD bounce back uh, to have that right-handed power where you need it to be. Christian Vasquez has a little quiet pop. Bobby Dalbeck is only a power hitter. Well, yeah, when he makes contact. Yeah, I mean, that's literally what he does, but <laughs> right. uh, you're right. It, does, it doesn't always manifest itself. Um, yeah, I think in a vacuum, it's something that has to be considered. With Rosario specifically... I'm not sure it concerns me a ton. I don't really care about the power aspect of it, to be honest. If you, I don't. If you can hit well, you can hit well. I don't really care how you do it. Um, but like Verdugo, obviously, I I don't really care. Like Verdugo's a lefty, but he's not 
functionally a lefty in the way that we're talking about. Like you can, you're not worried about him against left-handed pitching, um, unless you're Renicky. Unless you're Ron Renicky in yeah the first week of the season for whatever that <laughs> reason that was. Um, and with Rosario, I mean Rosario has splits, but in his career he's got an 88 WRC plus against lefties. That's obviously not great, but I can live with that if that's the best. If that's the best option you can find for the outfield, um, and for reasons we'll get into in a second, I don't think it is. But just on its face, it the lefty part doesn't concern me a ton, just because Benintendi would really be the only guy that I would be like, yeah, I don't want him in against lefties. Rosario, I probably would love to have another option, but I'm at the end of the day, if he's in there, I could live with it. Yeah, I think it's just probably a lot to ask a team to do to go with that outfield configuration when you have Springer and Ozuna on the market who are both strong right-handed hitting outfielders as yeah, well. Those are, are totally different. Options. That's a totally different tier of Oh, I completely agree. Though. Completely agree with that. But then if, even if you're not going to talk about a different tier, like if you're looking at Rosario and Dahl and Schwarber who also got DFA or uh who also got non-tendered those are both lefties too, so there's not like a whole ton of right-handed hitters just floating around out there right now. And that's that is one of the issues with this entire outfield mess. The other one is the defense. So say say they sign Rosario or Dahl or Schwarber, whoever, but we're talking about Rosario just because that was the report. How do you align the outfield if you can't and let's just say they can't work out a trade with Benintendi. Is it possible? Um, not ideally. I mean, there's no ideal situation in that point, right? I think your best option, if you sign Rosario, is to put Rosario in right and move Verdugo to center and then keep Benny in left because Benny just doesn't have the arm for right field. Uh, and I don't think either of those players can play center field. Um, but if you're able to get Dahl, uh, I think Dahl becomes your center fielder right away because he can actually play the position at a semi-average level. Uh, if you get Schwarber, you're totally screwed because he is definitely a DH. Yeah, I don't... I don't see any way this works. I mean, it's just the more I think about this outfield situation, the more I think either Benintendi has to be traded or they have to just sign a center fielder. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, there's, and there's sort of only three, I guess I'm not as confident in Dahl as a center fielder as you, but I will, defer to you on that one because i admittedly have not seen a lot of david Dahl. i've always i've never even really considered him as center, center fielder maybe he could stick there so maybe you can throw him in there but i had there's really not a lot of center fielders out there there's george springer who i think you can stick in center field for now but i think that move is coming soon there's jackie bradley jr and then there's like kevin pilar and it's just it's not great but i don't think that there's a trade out there for benintendi either it's just this outfield has gone downhill so fast and i don't know how you move the pieces because i do think i do think alex verdugo can play center field i don't know if i'm right about that but i like i i would be willing to give that a shot the only issue is then i need a good right fielder because i need a good right fielder at fenway and there's no good right fielders that i like out there either it's like hunter renfro who i really don't like i know other people like renfro i'm low on renfro i don't Um, like him either mazara who i said this on twitter i know nomar mazara isn't good but if they signed him i would totally talk myself into that potential but I mean, that's just—it's not a smart move. It's just my own personal blind spot. So to me, there are only two options uh, for center field. Uh, I think you either go out and you re-sign Jackie Bradley Jr. or you sign Albert Almora. Man, that sucks. <laughs> Almora yeah, is but, not an everyday player. 
but he's a righty. Yeah. Okay. And and he can play defense and he doesn't screw with the development of Verdugo. I think it's a lot to ask. You you, you had Verdugo come in and play right field at Fenway, which is a difficult position, and he hit well, and he hit at the top of the lineup, and now he's going to come in in his second year with the team, and you're like, hey, buddy, go move over to center field. I just think that's a lot to expect from from a player whose production you really need to rely on next year. Mm, I, I don't think I agree with that. I, I think Verdugo showed that he can kind of deal with it. And they threw a lot at him this year, too. He replaced, above everything else you said, he replaced Mookie Betts. He replaced the best player this team has had in, like, 50 years. And I, he didn't see, I, I, he doesn't really seem like the guy, to me, that would be affected by that. Yeah, maybe not. I just want to see him get time to refine his skills in right field and refine his skills at the plate. Because even though he hit well last year, there were a lot of things that regressed uh based on what he was able to do with the Dodgers before he hurt his back. So I think that there are a lot of things that he still needs to work on as a young player. And, I, you know, I'd just rather see him do that in right field. I guess. But, I mean, if I don't know. If you think he can be a center fielder, that wouldn't necessarily just be a move for 2021. Well, it depends on what you think about Jaron Durant. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the other part of this. Right. Um, but, I mean, I think as high as I am on Jaron Duran. I don't know that I'm necessarily basing my offseason about making sure that Jaron Duran has a path. I just don't think that there's that much benefit to moving Verdugo to center field. Well, I think, and I don't think he'll be a particularly good one. I think ostensibly the benefit would be that it's easier to find a corner outfielder, but the issue is that there isn't somebody that I trust in right field at Fenway either. All of the outfielders I like are in left field, and that just doesn't work with the Red Sox. Right. I think moving Benintendi is by far the easiest thing on this lineup. I don't think you can move him. I just don't think that trade exists. I just feel like that's such a false narrative at this point. There's no reason to say Alex Spear that you can't me, move him. Alex Spear convinced you. He had a big article about Benintendi um, that basically said any team that might be higher on Benintendi would basically be scared off by the idea that the Red Sox are willing to trade him. That's, I don't, I di- totally disagree with that. Obviously, Alex knows far more than I do, but that seems flawed. That stuff happens, though. The whole friggin' league is going to decide that. Well, I my assumption is that there's a good chunk of the league that just straight up doesn't want him right now. And then the teams that do are thinking, well, why do you want to trade him? There's got to be some preller out there who is just like. Gonna I mean, go I think you can trade him. Drum. I think you could trade him, but at a certain like you have to get something back. I I don't I don't want to trade Benintendi just to trade him. He's a really bad fit on this roster right now. It's not great, but I also I don't know. I don't think the Red Sox are in a position right now where they need to be trading somebody who. Yeah, I'm not super high on Benintendi right now, but there's still some upside. I'm not trading him just for like a flyer reliever or something like that. No, but I would consider trading him for like a back end reliever. I don't think that's out there, personally. I don't know. Yeah, I guess that's the thing is we don't know when we won't know. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. It's just a, it's a it's a crappy situation with this outfield. You're right. It's hard to envision a way where this all fits together cleanly. It's not, it's not great. I no. I think I I'm embarrassed by how much I think about the Southfield situation, but it consumes me to a troubling degree. With where they are financially, what do you think about them signing somebody like Ozuna to play left and moving Benintendi to the bench or a fourth outfielder role? I think it makes sense in theory. But in practice, I just don't. I, I I can't see that happening. It's not even a, an idea I can entertain. It just doesn't seem realistic to me. It seems like an out of the park baseball move, not a real life move. I don't know if you like Ozuna's price enough and you like his bat enough, but you also want to keep your defense at a certain level of respectability. You know, I can see a world where. 
you're okay eating the six million bucks on the bench. I think it's less about the money and more about. I think there's people that still believe in Benetendi in the organization, and I just it seems like a waste of talent and re- not resources in terms of like what you've already put into him. I don't know. I can't think of how to articulate this, and I don't even necessarily think it's smart. I just think this is how this stuff works, and I can't see a realistic scenario where that happens. I just look at it like this, though. If you keep Benintendi in left field, you're precluding yourself from getting a player like Ozuna. I think so too, but I don't think they care. Is my guess. Like I, like I think, like I said, I think it makes sense. I can't really argue against it on its on the merits. I just don't see it as an actual thing that can happen. Like I think they should sign Springer and Ozuna and whoever throw out any other guy out there too, but that's not going to happen. So it's not worth talking about. I I kind of put that in that category. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. Again, I could, I'm I'm wrong about many things, but it just it seems like Benintendi. Benintendi is sort of the entire roster to me at this point. Like everything basically comes down to what happens with Benintendi, and I really don't have a good answer. Who knew left field at Fenway would be so important? <laughs> it's only where every great player the team has ever had plays. <laughs> <laughs> all right we're kind of going long so we're gonna go through this last section fairly quickly i think um but the non-tender deadline as i mentioned before did pass last week red sox tendered deals to everyone um something that stood out to me was that they agreed to deals to avoid arbitration with everyone except Rafael devers uh is that anything to you either positive or negative um yeah I think it's a little bit negative. Um, We've seen in the past how arbitration hearings with certain players have led to some negative feelings. So uh, I was hoping they could get an agreement done. Yeah, and I mean, I think think they still can. I don't want to, because I sort of feel the same, but before I go down that road, um, usually there aren't as many deals right at the non-tender deadline as we saw this year. Um, the pandemic weirdness and everybody kind of being scared of what teams are going to do this winter, I think led to more deals. So there's plenty of time for them to agree to another deal. That said, I think we are going to see, or I shouldn't say, I think we are. I think there's a decent chance we're going to see a hearing with Devers just because arbitration is so weird this year coming off a 60 game season. I mean, it's a process so heavily based on precedent and there's no precedent for the season. So I can see, teams and players having wildly different figures and when you're talking about a guy like Devers who is a potential superstar already arguably there or close to it um and it's his first year of arbitration this is a vitally vitally important year for his salaries for the next few years this sets the baseline going forward so um there's like MLB trade rumors had a few different projection models based on how a few different ways you can interpret the shortened seasons. And there was like a two and a half to $3 million difference between the highest figure there and the lowest figure for Devers. And that's not a ton on its face, but when you start to extrapolate that out to next year's arbitration, then the year after that, that two and a half, $3 million can turn into like a 10 to $15 million difference for him moving forward. And so I think, I think the importance of first year arbitration combined with the weirdness of the pandemic just sets up a situation where unless they somehow are close on a number which i assume if they were they would have agreed to a deal already it just seems like the stakes are too high financially for either side to cave yeah i totally agree and and i can see this happening a couple different ways so if the red sox win the arbitration and they get them at a figure that is more indicative of uh, the defense that he played last year, and, and that's sort of factored into this, uh, and they get him at a good number for the Red Sox. I think that actually will open up the discussions for the Red Sox to have a little bit more leverage in negotiations for a contract extension, uh, buying him out of his remaining ARB years, and then you know giving him some sort of much better figure, buying out those ARB years, and then a bunch of free agent years. But I think if he comes in at a at his number at a a higher number he's probably a little bit more likely to continue to ride out our years and bet on himself yeah that's a good point and um and like i said this is not 
this is all speculation. He could, they could agree to a deal tomorrow to avoid arbitration. It wouldn't be terribly surprising, but just given the circumstances, it's definitely something to watch. Um, were you surprised by anybody who was tendered a deal? Or did you kind of um, think that was the way it was going to go? I was a little surprised Bryce was tendered even at the number he's at, but apparently he does some things well that I'm not sure about um, what they are. I guess maybe some pitch metrics like him or something. Um, and then uh, Barnes at his figure just still seems like a lot for a guy who I'm not very high on, but you're that's your boy, so <laughs> I know that uh, that you will defend Barnes there. Yeah, I mean, I think... I don't remember what he got. He got like 4.4 or something. 4.5, I think, yeah. 4.5. I mean, that's nothing. That's a... But in this market, man, hand at 10 gets turned down. Yeah, but hand is probably... I mean, hand is probably going to get double what Barnes got. Like, I think 4.5 million, even in this market, you are getting a 6th, 7th inning guy. And I mean, if that, I I think Barnes is better than that, but that's all Barnes has to be. I think that's a no-brainer to me. No, I I totally see it. I think when Barnes is on, he's definitely worth that. When Barnes is on, he's worth way more than that. But um, yeah. Speaking of Barnes, uh, and speaking of Alex Spear, uh, Spear reported that there were talks of an extension between Barnes and the Red Sox before things got shut down with COVID last spring. You think that's something that gets picked back up? Uh, yeah, I think they'll explore it, especially if they can get him in a good number. Uh, like you said, I, he just has to be a sixth or a seventh inning guy. I don't think he's the ninth inning guy that you want on a good team, or even maybe the eighth inning guy you want on a good team. But um, well, he's yeah, I think getting inning guy on a good team. Yeah, the best team um, in franchise history. I'm just not sure that that's what he is right now. No, no, with the I, I, I command agree. issues I'm just being shit. what they are. I'm just saying yeah. a piece of shit. No, I think um, <laughs> I actually don't know that an extension makes a ton of sense after last season because I think Barnes can come to the table and say 2020 was stupid. Like, who cares about anything that happened? I want to be paid mostly for what I was before that, and the Red Sox would take the other view, and then like I, I just don't. If you're not close, I don't really see the point because as much as I like Barnes, um, you can probably find somebody else for him to replace him next year that's not that far off. Yeah, yeah, I think you're probably right. Like, I, I, I would approach, I would definitely, like, start a conversation, but I would probably, I, I wouldn't, like, work hard on it like I would with like a Devers or a Bogarts or a Verdugo or whatever. No, only if he's eager and you can get him at your figure. Yeah. Um, and then real quick, any non-tenders that we haven't mentioned yet from around the league that you uh, are particularly excited about potentially for the Red Sox? Um, Archie Bradley. That's kind of interesting. You know, a, a multi-inning right-handed reliever, um, with some ninth inning experience, um, I don't see him in a ninth inning role, but I could see him being a, a good, you know, back end seventh eighth, get out of jams type guy. He doesn't give up a lot of home runs, which I like about him, um, and he's a quality right hander, which I like. Yeah, I think he. I think there's an argument. He's one of the two or three best players that was non tendered. Depending, I guess, on how you feel about Schwarber. I'm not a big Schwarber guy. Um, I think Travis Shaw is a guy to keep an eye on. Sort of a guy who can be left-handed insurance behind Bobby Dalbeck. I don't think anybody's offering Travis Shaw a full-time job at this point. Um, so I think a reunion with him could make sense. I also think Daniel Robertson's sort of a low-end name to keep an eye on at second base. Obviously, there's the Bloom connection. Um, he was really, really good a couple years ago. Uh, was pretty, pretty bad in 2019, and he's pretty good in like a very small sample this past year. But um, I'm assuming if they do do anything at second base, it's going to be something fairly cheap, so I think he would be a man to keep an eye on in that vein. Yeah, I like that name too. Um, he's intriguing, and he can play a bunch of different yeah, positions. Yeah, he can play all of them like. too. Yeah, I kind of like that. Uh, all right, 
so let's do some listener questions before we get out of here. Um, Ivan L. Apex, Apex, your dog is not a fan of Ivan. Sorry, Ivan. <laughs> no, uh, my dog's letting him have it. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, with the reports of the that the Indians are interested in a package centered in Guriel from the Jays, I have not seen that report, but I'll take your word for it. Um, would you do Dahlbeck, Darwinson, and Gilberto Jimenez or Thad Ward for Lindor? Um, he thinks that's a better deal for the Indians. I mean, that seems insanely low to me. Yeah, Guriel is just hands down better than any player in that Red Sox deal. Yeah, um, I haven't seen that report either, but Guriel seems like a like I feel like you're adding something pretty significant on top of Guriel. I love Guriel. I think he is one of the most underrated players in baseball. Um, but he's also 27. It just feels like you know, they they would be adding fairly significant prospect multiple to Gariel. Yeah, I don't know how much more they'd have to give. Probably Gariel and a, and a pretty good prospect. Um, probably not like a top guy or anything, but uh, the, the Indians outfield, we've talked at length about yeah. how just horrendous that has been over the years, so I'm sure Gariel looks pretty enticing to them. Um, but that Red Sox package, I don't think, comes close to getting it done I for Lindor. It, I don't think it moves a needle. I also don't think the Red no. Sox are going to go after Lindor. But... I don't either. Interesting though. Uh, we kind of talked about Renfro a little bit. Um, Angel Rondon asks about adding Renfro as a backup. As a backup, I wouldn't mind it, but I think he's I just don't think him. he settles for that. Yeah, I don't either, and I don't really like him as a starting player. Nope. Uh, my man Dan uh, kind of gave a little bit of a long prelude, but basically he's talking to season ticket. They were talking about spring training. Uh, he wants to know when you think spring training is actually going to start. Um, I've been hearing that uh, potentially the season could start in May, so maybe push everything back a month, and that could kind of match up with the timeline here. It seems like they maybe want to create a little bit of extra space for the vaccine uh, to become more readily available to people, um, and that could could push everything back a bit. Yeah, I have. I have no idea. I'm not a labor lawyer, but my understanding is that they can't. They, I mean, they can't do this without the players. I don't know that the players are gonna want. It, I, I feel like this is gonna turn into a whole thing again, just like last year. Um, but as far as spring trading, right now, I'm just assuming it's gonna start, and like, players are gonna report, like you said, like a month later, like mid march um but i have i mean i have no idea who the hell knows what what anything is gonna happen in this country with the virus yep (laughs) it's not looking great (laughs) yeah i can i can see things not being better for a very long time Uh, but we don't have to think about that because there's also a chance it will get better fairly soon that's what we're looking for all right so that's gonna do it for us on that extremely depressing note um like I said, I've been quarantining for eight months, and it's getting dark at three o'clock in the afternoon now, and it just snowed. I'm not in the best mindset right now, but uh, <laughs> that is where we're leaving it. Uh, you can subscribe to us on all of the places you've subscribed for podcasts. Uh, you can rate and review only if you're going to say nice things and leave a good review, uh, please. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I run the over the monster account at over the monster jake is at dev jake uh you can check out the writing from over the monster at over the monster.com uh anything else that's it all right until next time